Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What's going on, everybody? Justin Morgenstein back with you here on another edition of Phillies Today. Right off the bat, full disclosure here, before I get any further into this podcast, I am still broken. I am not doing well. Thinking about Game 6, Game 7, way too much, up 2-0, up 3-2. The Arizona Diamondbacks, I'm still not over it. I know the World Series just happened, the Texas Rangers win it all, congratulations to them. Uh, I've been a baseball fan my whole life. Uh, I look forward to watching every World Series. I worked at MLB for a year. Uh, whether it's the Phillies or not, I'm always watching the World Series. Uh, I did not watch much of this World Series, being quite honest here. I watched the end of Game 1. I watched the extra inning game. Uh, That was a great game. But besides that, I really did not watch much of this World Series. And, uh, you know, it's a jealousy thing, sure. I'm bitter. Uh, I can't relate. Congrats to the Rangers for taking care of an 84-win ball club. I wish I could say the same, but... Uh, that's enough coping. There's some stuff we have to get to in this pod. Uh, some off-season free agent decisions, uh, Nola and Reese specifically. Uh, some potential trade candidates that are out there that I want to touch on. And uh, I'm also going to do some 2023 player season grades as well. Uh, just the lineup we're going to do this week. I think I'm going to hit on all the pitchers next week, the starters as well as the relievers. Uh, so I wanted to get into that a little bit. So, yeah, let's just dive right into this. Uh, free agency. Began uh, the morning after the World Series, 9 a.m., and all the pending free agents are now available uh, or can speak with other teams. And uh, that includes Aaron Nola and Reese Hoskins. And my broad free agency take with the Phils right now is that Aaron Nola is priority number one, at least to start. Uh, Dombrowski said in his end-of-season press conference that they love him. He means a lot to the franchise, etc., But it feels more like their priority or their major priority is strictly making sure they have a top end number two to put behind Zach Wheeler next year. Whether that's Nola, whether that's someone else, we will find out. But I think that Dave Dombrowski and John Middleton will sit down early in this offseason if they haven't already. And they'll kind of figure out a price that they are looking to give to Aaron Nola. And if by chance... Aaron Nola gets more elsewhere, which he definitely could. I could see St. Louis. I could see the Cubs. I could see the Mets or the Yankees, either New York team, uh, making a play at him as well. Uh, If by chance that number is higher, I think they will have a plan to pivot and try to potentially look at the trade market, maybe another free agent to try to get a bona fide number two. The only real free agent out there that I think would be worth taking a look at is Blake Snell. Uh, But I mentioned this in the last pod, and I'm going to say the same thing now. I don't love Snell at the price he's going to cost. I know he's going to win the Cy Young in the National League. 
Uh, but I don't love the advanced numbers on him. And he just feels like a big regression candidate rather than somebody who's going to play into their contract like Zach Wheeler has at the Phillies. Uh, and I don't know. He's a two-time Cy Young winner, uh, has a huge K per nine rate, but he walks the ballpark, just too many base runners for me. And I don't know. That just would really worry me if I was signing him to a long-term deal. And uh, I would much rather have Aaron Nola on my team than Blake Snell at the price uh, and the age that they're at. So uh, give me Aaron Nola over Blake Snell still, but he's certainly someone worth taking a look at, especially if Aaron Nola does get a better deal somewhere else. Uh, one thing, one other thing, though, I could see them trading for a number two if Aaron Nola is not a Philly next year. And I put a list of some trade candidates together, just you know, thinking off the top of my head earlier today and just seeing who's out there on a one-year deal or who potentially could be looking to get out of a losing situation and come to Philadelphia and look to you know, pitch in the postseason. So uh, one guy, I think the top guy would be Corbin Burns of the Milwaukee Brewers uh, would certainly not mind playing somewhere else, especially after the arbitration dispute he had in Milwaukee last season. I know he really felt that the organization didn't really appreciate uh, his skills and what he's been able to do. He's been, he's won a Cy Young. He's been uh, one of the top candidates for the Cy Young award over the past few seasons. And hey, he had another really good year last year and he's uh, entering his last year of team control so it might not take a giant, massive haul uh, to get him here. It would certainly cost yeah, a really good prospect or two, but I would certainly keep an eye on the Corbin Burns situation uh, and see what's going on there in Milwaukee. Uh, Dylan Cease, I know he was a, a potential candidate at the trade deadline last year. Uh, he had a very Aaron Nola-like year in 2023, coming off a great 2022 where he came second in the Cy Young, I believe, to Verlander. And... Uh, you could probably buy much lower on him than you could have last year. And I like that he's under team control until 2026. Uh, so that would be good. And I think that the White Sox would not be opposed to buying some younger pieces as they're in a transitional phase as well uh, there in Chicago. So another guy is Tyler Glass now. Of course, health being the main concern. Uh, only one year left on his deal. So between those two things, you may not have to give up the biggest haul. But uh, that would be another name I would consider. Uh, Logan Gilbert of the Seattle Mariners. He's under club control till 2027. Would probably be a steeper price there. But I know the Mariners had been shopping his name around this year uh, before they made their little postseason push, but ultimately fell up short. Uh, and Shane Bieber, one more guy. I know he's dealt with injury a lot of last season, but it looked like the Guardians were kind of ready to ship him off at the deadline before he dealt with that uh, elbow inflammation, I think. Uh, but that would scare me a little bit, though. Anything with an elbow is typically uh, not what you want in a starting pitcher you're going to give, end up giving money to. And I'm assuming that they would want to sign uh, these guys long-term if they're looking to bring them here. So uh, would much rather have Nola back than Shane Bieber. Or Shane Bieber. So that is where I'm at uh, with Nola and a potential number two if he decides to uh, leave Philadelphia and take his talent somewhere else. But uh this number two thing is going to happen, whether Aaron Nola is a Philly or not. Uh, Ranger Suarez will not be the number two starter on opening day in 2024 for the Phillies. It would shock me if that was the case. So for me, I'd be very comfortable bringing Nola back on a long-term deal unless that would inhibit John Middleton on making future moves, which I do not think it will. And while I'm on that topic, it, it kind of annoys me 
a little bit right now and people or fans try to start managing the team's money. Like it's, you know, the owners can spend whatever they want. I know there's a luxury tax. I understand that there's implications that come with that, but John Middleton is going to spend whatever he has to spend in order to get this team back to where he wants it to be, which is at, in the world series competing for a championship year in and year out right now. So remember that before, you know, you go on Twitter and start calling Aaron Nola's contract an overpay. So that is where I'm at with Nola, Middleton, them spending on a number two starter this offseason. Uh, so that is where I'm at with that. And there are two other offseason decisions that need to be addressed. One of them I talked about last week is Reese Hoskins, of course. Uh, I am the biggest Reese Hoskins fan there is. People know that. I love the player. I love the guy. I don't care that he can't play defense. I'd be ecstatic to have Reese Hoskins back in this lineup. But the Bryce Harper thing makes it complicated. There's no doubt about it. He was really good over there as the season went along. And if this something, if this is something he wants to do for the rest of his career and he feels comfortable over there, I think you got to let him make that decision. So it's going to be interesting to see the reports that kind of come out of this as the winner goes along regarding both Bryce at first base and in turn Reese coming back to the team, which I still probably think is more on the not likely side than the, than the likely side. I think if he's coming back to Philadelphia, it's likely on a really short term, you know, type one to two year type of prove it deal. And I think a team elsewhere who is in need of some power and a first baseman uh, would maybe give him a little more than the Phillies may. But the last thing with uh, free agency, I think the Phillies right off the bat need to address is go get a freaking closer. Get a bona fide dude that you can bring out of the pen and that can get you out late in the game. Simple as that. You could keep giving these high leverage spots to Alvarado and whoever else you want to give me or you want to give them to, but just give me a dude in the back of this bullpen. Hater, great. I would love that, sure. Would probably cost you, but again, I don't think that's stopping John Middleton this offseason. He's gotten so close the last two years. He is going to do whatever he can to put this team over the top. Uh, I know David Bednar from the Pirates has been on the trade block. That would be great, too. I've always been infatuated with Camilo Doval from the Giants. He is just young, nasty, under team control, throws really hard. But that is probably just a fantasy for me because the Giants love him and he's been really good for them. So would be very surprised. But just go get a freaking closer. Get someone that is not Craig Kimbrell or you know, Jury's Familia, who they got in 2022. Uh, old guys who are on a one-year deal who arms fall apart midway through the season. I just can't do that experience anymore. I was fully on board with the new school train of thought of, oh, just play matchups. You'll be fine at the end of games. Yeah, Whether it's a left-handed lineup and you need Alvarado to pitch the ninth or whether it's a right-handed lineup and you throw your high-leverage righty. I fully changed my mind on this. Go get a guy and have a great back end of your bullpen to solidify your roster as a championship contender. That's I can't do Craig Kimbrough anymore. I can't do it. That's the last thing I'm going to talk about it because – I, I don't even want to think about him anymore. He's just, uh, I I can't, man. <laughs> I can't. But anyway, uh, I'm going to move on. I'm going to get uh, some player grades from the 2023 season. Uh wanted to do this just to start to put a bow on the season, which obviously a lot of people are already doing, but just to see where these guys kind of stand heading into the offseason and just our takeaways from 2023 with these guys. So, uh, yeah, just how they performed uh, this year based on their expectations. I'm going to, again, do the entire pitching staff, starters, and bullpen next week. So make sure you're tuned in for that. 
Uh, but we're just going to go position players here uh, with the starting lineup, starting with Kyle Schwerber. I'm giving Kyle Schwerber a B plus. And my, my biggest gripe with Schwerber is that he didn't pull off the greatest accomplishment that we would have ever seen by hitting more home runs than singles in a season. I was fully on board with that. Wanted to see it happen, but came up so close, but didn't get it. But in, in all seriousness, uh, I do not care about the batting average. I do not care that he doesn't look like your father's leadoff hitter. Kyle Schwerber hit for power. He got on base. And most importantly, he put fear into opposing pitchers' you know, stuff out of the leadoff spot. At the end of the day, he put up some really, really impressive numbers this year. 47 long balls, 104 RBIs, OPS plus of 122, well above league average. Kyle Schwarber had a really good season. And I know Rob Thompson's not going to probably be as stubborn with some of his lineup moves as he was this year. He was very candid in his postgame press conference, or his end of season press conference after they lost to the Diamondbacks, that he was going to be more open to making certain moves next year. I still think Kyle Schwarber is leading off for this team. This team wins with Kyle Schwarber in the leadoff spot. He feels comfortable there. To me, it's something that's just not going to change as long as he's on the team and Rob Thompson is the manager of this team. Giving Kyle Schwarber a B plus, really good season for Kyle Schwarber. Set career highs in RBIs. So it's just he's going to be the leadoff hitter next year. Simple as that. Trey Turner. I gave Trey Turner a C. Obviously, two different seasons for Trey, uh, starting on August 4th with the ovations. And, I mean, his numbers from opening day, which was March 30th, to August 3rd, he hits 235, 10 homers, 34 RBIs, and a 657 OPS. August 4th, Kansas City Royals, he gets the ovation. That night, through the rest of the season, after the standing out, 342 batting average, 16 homers, 42 RBIs, and an OPS just above 1,000. I mean, but as inspiring as a, of a story as Trey's resurgence was after the ovation, he needs to be better next year, uh, especially down the stretch of the postseason uh, when we saw him kind of revert back to some of those tendencies that plagued him in the beginning of the year with the chase rate, uh, pounding balls into the ground, and even the fielding. Like, his fielding, I know, was probably a bit overrated heading into the contract. But he led the majors in errors by a good margin. And it was just, he makes the incredible plays that you don't expect him to make. And you're like, wow, this guy is a really tremendous shortstop. And then there were just so many of those ground balls that he booted where you're just, Trey, come on, buddy. What are we, do- what are we doing here? And just, he's got to figure out, a, I know consistency is such a overused term in baseball, but just cutting out and balancing the highs and the lows and just getting more of a straight line, whether it's at the plate or in the field, we need more of that from Trey Turner. And we're going to find out because I mean, they're stuck with him for 10 more years, man. And he was a really tremendous player down the stretch in September and early October for them. But, you know, his lows are really low, man. And we were just able to see both of them. And it is frustrating and it is elating in both sides of it. So uh, that is where I am at with Trey heading into the offseason. I expect him to be better uh, overall next year, especially not maybe the player he was after the ovations because that was you know, an MVP level. But somewhere in the middle, just trying to find that you know, straight line as, a, uh, as opposed to, you know, the waves that uh, it came in for Trey as the season wound down. So next we got Bryce Harper. 
I mean, what a year for Bryce looking back. Uh, I'm going to give him an A minus. Uh, he gets the surgery, and then the team comes out, uh, says that they expect him back at the All Star break. Dude comes back in freaking May, and manages to pull off the quickest recovery uh, in Tommy John history, and just kind of works his way back into becoming the old Bryce Harper that we know while learning a new position at the same time. And then once August hits, he gets his power back, and he turns back into MVP Bryce, like typical Bryce form. Finishes the year with a 146 OPS plus. Uh, one of the most memorable moments of the season he had, despite it being in a loss because of, shocker, Craig Kimbrell. Not going to mention his name again after that. Uh, it was the 300th homer game, and, you know, how dramatic that was. Just that stretch of games, uh, I think it was all in August, where he hit those homers, uh, the 300th, obviously. The one against San Francisco, where they also lost that game. And Atlanta off Rysel Iglesias, where, shocker again, they lost that game. And uh, did he come up short in Game 6 and 7 in the NLCS? Sure. But he is far from the reason that the Phillies came up short that series. And I truly believe him when he said that quote after the game about him feeling like he let the city down because he means it, man. He truly means it. He feels that him and the entire organization let the fans down because that's just the type of guy he's turning into. He's someone who is as accountable as you can be, is transparent with the fans. And again, that quote just, it made me upset because I view Bryce as somebody who, even when he's struggling, he understands what he means to this city. So again, Nothing but good stuff from Bryce this year. Uh, obviously, would have loved to see more at the end of the championship series, but hey, that's baseball sometimes. It's tough. But moving on here, Alec Bohm, going to give him a B plus. Interesting year for Alec Bohm. But if you were to tell me before the season that he'd hit 20 homers and have 97 RBIs, I would have absolutely signed up for that. Uh, also, the strides he made defensively just can't be overlooked. I feel much, much more confident in Alec Bohm's defensive ability now to be a career third baseman than I did a year ago. Uh, he also got a little better with lifting the ball. Uh, again, did come up short in the postseason. Absolutely did. And it's definitely part of the reason that this lineup struggled at times. And I think that Bryce struggled at times because he felt with Bohm in the forehole that he had to do maybe a little more than necessarily he needed to at times. Uh, but the improvements Alec Bohm made we're very noticeable, and I am very high on Alec Boehm going into next year. I think he solidified his spot as the Phillies starting third baseman uh, moving forward to the future. So good stuff from Boehmer. And Bryson Stott, another young guy. We're going to move this along here. I'm giving an A-. minus. Uh, would have been an A if he hadn't struggled in the last couple months of the year. But even with those struggles, just a massive, massive leap for Bryson Stott this year. Uh, he drastically improved in basically every offensive category, uh, made the move to second base, and is a legitimate glove, gold glove candidate and could end up winning it. Uh, top of the league in two-strike hits, uh, really honed in on an approach it felt like, and he felt like he just lost some steam towards the end of the season for a second year in a row, which I guess wouldn't be shocked next year if they continue to manage his games played. Uh, so we'll see there, but just... An overall great year from Bryson Stott. He obviously gets off to that great start. I uh, was towards the top of the league in batting average. And I just thought that after last year, this year was a critical, critical year for Bryson. Uh, just because we were in various times last year where you saw him struggling and you're like, all right, he's got to figure this out over the next year or two if he wants to you know, 
be a real contributing piece on a contending team here. And the way that he was able to kind of fix his approach and be able to get more bat on ball, uh, get the chase rate down, and have a two-strike approach, I just thought was really, really key for the Phillies this year. And a lot of their success, especially before August, I'd say, was due to Bryson's dots progression. So good stuff for Bryson, too. Uh, moving on, JT Real Muto. I'm going to give him a B. Felt like a weird year for JT, honestly. Uh, we know that the main story it felt like this year were his just wacky home and road splits. Uh, they were just out of control. He was basically an MVP candidate on the road. Uh, while at home, he had an OPS under 600 and virtually no power. It felt also felt like his ability to throw out runners, which was obviously so heralded uh, early in his Philly, earlier in his Phillies career, uh, was kind of inhibited this year just because of the new rules with the bases and you know, the amount of disengagements you can have. I mean, his defensive metrics were down as a whole, uh, but he's still a Gold Glove candidate. Uh, was a is a, one of the top three finalists and. It was really good down the stretch. Uh, one of their best hitters in the postseason for sure. And he's always one of those guys where you look at the uh, baseball card at the end of the year, still posted, still hit 20 homers, silver slugger candidate as well. Uh, he's been totally fine after the contract he got. Uh, I think still one of the top catchers in the league. Won't call him the best catcher in baseball, but still one of the top catchers in the league. So, uh, yeah, I would say – Decent year from JT, nothing too crazy, but next year, I, there's no way he can struggle at Citizens Bank Park again the way he did, right? I mean, that was just, the, the splits were crazy. He batted under 200 at home for the entire year. Just really, really weird stuff there. But uh, rolling along here, Nick Castellanos, uh, going to give him a B. Was debating on a B plus, but the streakiness is just too much for me. My fear is that this year was probably peak Nick that you might get in a Phillies uniform. He had a good season, just under 30 homers, led the team in RBI, was the all-star for them uh, before they allowed you know, the closer that we won't name also into the all-star game. Uh, but he just goes on these stretches where it's like, Nick, buddy, let's just let's lock back in here. Uh, not to bring up the Arizona series anymore because it's done and uh, I don't even really want to talk about it. But that at-bat with one out and a man on first and third and the fourth, is going to sit with me for a very long time. It was one of those at-bats that you remember summing up kind of the whole series, just a chance to add on, a kind of a chance to put them away at that point, and you aren't able to manufacture a single runoff that obviously Rojas strikes out after, but, man, that is just an at-bat that's going to sit with me for a long time. But I know a lot of people have kind of brought up the possibility of potentially trading him after this year uh, when his value is high. Maybe, but I think you'd probably still have to attach a prospect with him because of the contract. I love Nick Castellanos, the dude. Don't get me wrong. I think he's great for the city, but there's no doubt he killed them in the NLCS. And again, we talked about it with Trey Turner, just kind of getting that those peaks and valleys and kind of leveling, leveling them out a little bit. I mean, that's Nick Castellanos, man. The, the difference between the division series and the championship series was actually drastically drastic. I don't even, it's, I might be underselling it as well. It was just absolutely insane. But uh, Brandon Marsh, after him, going to give Brandon Marsh an A-. minus. Brandon Marsh, very underratedly, had an awesome season this year, I thought. Like Bryson Stott, like Alec Boehm, was really, really happy with Marsh's progression this year. 
led the team in OPS for a while before Bryce ended up taking over towards the end of the season. Uh, also improved his at-bats against left-handed pitching. OPS was uh, 717, still on like a decent sample size too. I think around 140 at-bats. Uh, still struck out almost 40% of the time in those at-bats, but the approach improved, and I hope he gets the opportunities next year. Uh, also, I know it's well-documented, but his clubhouse presence, just massive. The fact that he was brought here to be the team's future center fielder, and he did bat an eye when he had to move to left because of Rojas, is exactly what you want to see in a guy like Brandon Marsh. So, love Marshy. That was great, and I have big expectations for him next year as well. Uh, I'm not going to grade Johan Rojas, and don't that might be a cop-out, but I'm not grading him simply because the sample size was too small and the disparity between his hitting and fielding. Like, we know the deal with Rojas heading into the offseason. He's got to continue to work on his approach, find a way to get more bad on ball, lower the chase rate. Uh, he managed to hit a little bit in the regular season, albeit for very little power. But the postseason, he really got exposed, man. And Dabrowski said in his press conference the other week, they aren't guaranteeing him a spot heading into the spring, which I'm totally fine with. If he could just progress and not be a free out at the bottom of the lineup, he'll be on this team. Well, that'll wrap up another edition of Phillies Today. Thank you for tuning in. We will continue rolling out the pods on the Phillies 24-7 platform. And yeah, this is Justin Morgenstein, and we'll talk next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 